0: Good morning, everyone. It is great to have you with us here this morning. Thank you for your faithful attendance in these odd times that we we gather in this unique way, at least unique for us. I know a lot of people do this all the time, but, but definitely new for us. We're just so grateful for the technology and the help that I'm getting um, from Seth and Kaylee to, to put this together each week. It is incredible. I want you to take a second. If your kids aren't with you right now, I need you to run and go grab your kids real quick and bring them back. Just holler at them, whatever you got to do, down the hallway, send them a text, get them down there, um, because McKenna has something for them here in just a few minutes, so you got a little moment to, to yell at them, and then get, get, they got a couple of minutes here to, to get down to, to join you. Um, one of the things that I wanna just continue to encourage and remind you to do, we love that you're able to watch it on your, your big TV screen or your computer screen, and we want you to continue to do that. But we really, really, really want you to grab a second device, a phone or a tablet or something like that, and go on to Berea church. This is a great way for us to communicate with you. I think the most we've had on there was about 30-some people um, at one time, uh, texting or chatting back and forth. It is a great way to communicate with each other. There's an opportunity there for you to actually request prayer live during the service, and someone will pray with you right there um, via the chat in a private chat room. There's an opportunity to give that will pop up um, at, at some point in time during the service on that screen. Um, there's even an opportunity to make decisions. And so we desperately want you to go and connect with us there. Let us know where you're at, where you're watching from. Um, just encourage one another that way. It is a great, great resource, and we want you to join us on that platform. So do that right now. Um, grab that second device and pull up that website, and it's easy to find. You can go to our website as well bccbrazil.org, and and there's a link right there to it as well. It's a lot easier to type that in, um, quite honestly. So I've got a question for you. How many of you are wondering right now, you're genuinely wondering what all this will look like when this pandemic is over? Have you thought about it? Have you really thought and prayed about how things will change for you, how things might change for your family, even the church, the community that we live in. If you're like me, then you probably get the sense that that time is coming sooner rather than later. But what are we expecting? What do we think will happen? What is God revealing to you for the future? I'm curious. I want to know what you think might be the outcome of all of this. As we long to change so many things, In this world, in the spiritual world, we we long to change the way that we have interacted maybe with God for the last several years of our life, the way we've responded to him and his calling on our lives, as we long to reach out to those in need with new ways. This time has given us some opportunity to really evaluate that. As we long, do we sense this greater urgency to reach the lost with the good news of Jesus? It's a great time to be asking these questions. If if you don't feel that urgency after kind of being separated from people, then I, I just want to ask the question, why? Why don't you feel that urgency now? All of a sudden, you've missed contact with those people for so long, you haven't had a chance to share the good news. Of Jesus with them. Do you have an urgency now about you? This time of quarantine or social distancing or whatever it is we're calling it at this point has given us a lot of time, a lot of introspection, a lot of reflection on our lives, who we are, and things like that. What are we going to do with that? As believers, if we don't come out of this on fire to seek and save the lost in brand new ways, and I'm going to be honest, I don't think we're doing a very good job of listening to what God is trying to tell us in this time. So please spend some time in prayer in that throughout this week. Now, some of you have been joining me um, for the last four weeks now um, as this series has gone on in the mornings going backwards through the book of Philippians. And a few weeks ago, I, I just pray that that I appreciate the fact that you're tuning in and I pray that Paul's words, God's words ultimately are, are benefiting you in your life each day. Um, they're so simple, but they're so impactful for us. But about three weeks ago or so, two and a half weeks ago, there was a challenge from God's word. It was in, in chapter three, verse seven through nine. Paul is considering everything that he's given up for Christ, everything that he gave up his past life, if you will, and even his future life as he's living right now, the things he's in prison as he's writing this. So all the things he's given up for Christ. And he says these words, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage or rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, that was Paul's opinion. That was Paul's thoughts. Those were incredible words. Paul gave up so much to follow Christ when Christ called him. When you compare that to our situation, we've had so many things taken away from us. Now, we haven't been punished necessarily like Paul has, but we've had so many things taken away. Away from us. They've been removed from our schedules. We did not willingly cancel all of our activities in order to stay home for the last month and a half. That did not happen. That was not intentional on our behalf. And so they are lost, not in the same way Paul lost them. We didn't willingly give them up, but they were taken. So the question becomes what are we now going to be willing to sacrifice moving forward? To lose for that same surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, as Paul says. What is it? What is it that you're willing now to sacrifice for the greatness, the the greatness of knowing Jesus more? What are some of the things that were in the way between you and God? And now you're realizing that in this time of kind of isolation, if you will, where you have that time to spend with God? What is the barrier that had become, that existed between you and God that now for the last six weeks hasn't truly existed? What has prevented you from being the husband or wife you should be in Christ? What has prevented you from teaching and leading your own kids toward Christ? Interesting questions. What's been in the way in the past of you coming to church on a regular basis? of joining a small group of serving here at church, of serving in the community. What were those things that are not in your schedule now? And then you're gonna be able to choose. So the question becomes, when life resumes, when life resumes, which of the things that have been taken away from you, will you now be willing to go ahead and lay down at the feet of Jesus and sacrifice him for the opportunity to know him better? It's a pretty deep question. Let's pray about that. Father God, as we consider that deep thought, Father, of all the things that we have lost, if you will, in these last few weeks, Father, what is it that has been taken away But now at the end of this, we want to lay that thing that maybe was so important to us. Maybe it was something that we had to do, something we were so invested in. And now we realize that that thing was an object, it was a barrier, it was an idol in our life. It was a barrier between us and you. And now at the end of this, Father, thank you for revealing that. And we want to take that idol and lay it down at your feet from this point forward. Father, what is that idol? Reveal it to us, Father, and don't let us pick it back up when this time ends. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't want you to take whatever God has revealed to you and keep it to yourself. Uh, If you're online live with us right now, I want you to chat right there on the side. Reveal it to others. Tell your spouse. Post it on Facebook. Whatever you want to do, have people hold you accountable. If they see you start drifting back that direction again, have them hold you accountable. And don't get mad at them. When they do, ask them to hold you accountable accountable
1: when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll I
2: Life can bring us storms. Those moments where we wander. Wonder. Doubt. The journey doesn't stop. But the progress does. It can be lonely. Painful. Sometimes we try to stare it down. As if we could somehow will it to go away. Or we think we can go toe-to-toe and come out the other side, unscathed. We often forget just how small we are. The truth is, storms are inevitable. But when they appear, we have a protector. A savior who knows a thing or two about calming storms. A God who is a stronghold in times of trouble. In our weakness, He is strong. In our fear, He is courage. In our desperation, He is peace. Yes, storms are inevitable. But our God is invincible.
0: told you last week, uh, this is my favorite way uh, to teach, my favorite way to preach, because I I truly believe, um, for whatever reason, this is kind of the way God designed it. Uh, The early church didn't have all of these letters initially. They only had their stories and and their their testimonies and maybe some Old Testament passages and things, but today, um, and, and even in the early church, they received these letters, and they would gather around, and they would read through these letters together. And they would talk about what they meant in their lives and how to apply them. And and that was literally how they did it. And so that's why I'm so excited. It's kind of the casual approach we're taking um, to things in in this particular series. It's a a great way to sit down together. So hopefully you have your Bibles out open or your apps out and open. Uh, We're in the book of James. We're diving right in today. Chapter 1 is where we'll be in the book of James. Now, last week we shared with you who James was. Um, it was a lengthy story, but it's so important. You've got to understand and remember that he was the half-brother of Jesus, just like we talked about last week. Imagine what would happen if Jesus was your big brother. I, I can't, it, I don't want to go there. James did not believe in Jesus. There's multiple accounts that say that he and his brothers, his family, did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was until, until after the resurrection. James, who was not there for Jesus, was not there for his mom, Mary, at the time of Jesus's death, the greatest moment of pain and suffering in that family's history since the passing of their father, Joseph. James wasn't around. He wasn't there. James, who thought Jesus was insane on based on the claims that he was making, the same James that Jesus intentionally sought out after the resurrection, went to him and forgave him. The same James that, came, that Jesus came to in person to show him a full expression of God's love for him. The same James that became a pillar in the first church in Jerusalem, one of the most respected leaders in all of the early church, likely of all time. It is an incredible transformation that took place in the life of James. And for the record, it's the exact same transformation that the same Jesus wants to make in your life today. Don't lose sight of that. Sometimes we talk about these biblical figures, these biblical people, and we remove ourselves from the story. No, what Jesus did for, through, and with James, he wants to do for and with, and through you. Maybe in a very different way, but he longs to do the same thing. You must only ask and allow him to do it. Now, the thing we talked about with James last week, um, and it gets tougher as we go, James does not mince word. He just tells us how it is in very simple, easy to understand terms. Many people have a difficult time with James because the um, there's no, it's so matter of fact, there's no wiggle room. You, you can't, well, did he really mean? Yes, yes, he did. He says very clearly what he means, and then it's up to us to to accept it and to understand it and to apply it to our lives. He gets right to the point. His teachings are taking for, taken for the most part directly from the teachings of Jesus. Many are from the Sermon on the Mount. Those that aren't, several of them are from the book of Proverbs. And so it's easy to trace where James gets his information And the thing is about James, this is personal. James was a guilty man. He was completely guilty as charged, and yet Jesus came to him and forgave him. He is redeemed. He's been set free. He's been given a new chance at life by a sacrifice, a sacrifice made not only by his brother, but his Savior. It's an incredible thing to think about. For James, his conversion, this story, these thoughts, these beliefs, these teachings are personal. James had sinned against God. And it just so happened that God was also his brother. Can you imagine the connection between his teachings now and James' lifestyle? If you are not a believer yet, church, we have to take these words to heart. But if you are not a believer yet, what you have to know is that the man that wrote this letter did not believe in Jesus. He wasn't even willing to give Jesus a shot, and Jesus was his very own flesh and blood. So he knows exactly where you're at in your unbelief right now. So listen closely to the words of a man who was changed as a result of the sacrifice made by, ultimately, his brother but the man that was also the Son of God, his Savior. So as usual, in these texts, we like to start with the actual texts themselves. So if you've got your Bible, read along with me. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. James the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations greetings consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lack nothing But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised To those who love him. It's an incredible, incredible verse. What I want you to do as we begin this conversation is, I want you to think of the word trials and the word stress in a similar light. I'll use them somewhat interchangeably as we go back and forth between them in this discussion today. There's some fascinating things that James reveals to us about these trials from the very first lines of his letter. You see, today in our society, the word stress, one of the reasons why I wanna interchange them, the word stress is is a buzzword. It's a catch all for everything. It's kind of become a scapegoat, an excuse, if you will, for modern man. Think of all the times you haven't done things because you are too stressed to do them. It's an interesting proposition, but here's the thing. Unlike those that James was writing to, in our society, in our world, Um, most of their stress was forced upon them because of society as it was. Most of our stress is stuff that we kind of bring on ourselves, is it not? Think about our lives and where most of our stress comes from are those things that somehow we have probably engaged in. It's it's self-inflicted. Now, the current times that we live in. If these times are causing you stress, clearly we did not cause that. This is kind of an exception. So there's a lot of ways that maybe we do have some things in common now in this moment with the specific group of people that James was writing to. James' teaching is so relevant because these times this stress was forced upon us. We did not create it. His writers, as he writes to this letter to these early Christians, they had been dispersed across the, the known world, the Roman Empire, during this first century, he begins to tell them, okay, we know you're under tons of stress, so here are some ways to deal with these stress or the, these trials, and the pressures that exist in the places where you are right now. The recipients of this letter were, were faced with some very, very difficult trials, persecution, even death, just for becoming a follower of Jesus. So James is writing them to show them that, hey, Stress, we know, we understand it. It seems like a bad thing, but it doesn't have to be. Trials aren't necessarily a foe. They aren't necessarily our enemy. In fact, when properly understood and dealt with in a Christ-like manner, biblically speaking, trials can actually turn into a friend of sorts. And so James begins to describe that process. He, He points to five facts, and we'll go through those five facts together, that can turn our stress and trials from a foe, into a friend. So here's the thing. The very first line of that verse after he introduces to who he's writing to, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Trials are predictable. Trials are completely predictable. This verse does not say if. It does not say, consider it pure joy, my brothers, if you face trials. It says when whenever they happen. They are completely predictable. Stress trials are inevitable. They are unavoidable. They are inescapable. We can't do anything about it. We will all have to face them. Now, some have learned how to face them very, very well. Others, not so much. They kind of freak out a little. Understandable. There's a reason for that. Now, Christians just, really people in general, but Christians specifically, encounter a couple trials a little differently than the world does. One of these kinds of trials is a, a trial of correction. These come our way whenever God recognizes that we are out of his will. And so God's goal is to pull us back in to his will for our life. There's a perfect great example of this in the Old Testament, the prophet Jonah If you're not familiar with the prophet Jonah, go ahead, look up the book of Jonah, and you can see how he was not doing what God wanted him to do, so God put a slight correction in his path to get him in the way that he wanted him to be. God does the exact same thing in our lives. Another type of trial that Christians face is a trial of perfection. These come to us whenever we are actually in the will of God, and now God is using that moment to try to move us in our faith, to try to mature us in our faith, to try ultimately then to perfect us in our faith. There's a great example in the New Testament of this happening. Think of the disciples. They had joined Jesus for a boat ride out in the Sea of Galilee. They were right in the middle of God's will. They were with Jesus in this boat out on the sea doing exactly what God wanted to do. And what did God provide at that point? A huge storm that scared them all to death. They literally thought they were going to die. Now, why did they have that trial? They were doing exactly what God wanted to do. God was testing their faith then. And their response proved that their faith was not mature. They needed to grow. And Jesus shares that with them in his response. So stress is completely predictable. Paul says that these things are common to man. They happen all the time. We know that. Once we realize that stress is indeed predictable, then we can learn how to move on and how to deal with it. It's not unexpected. Now, the specific event might be but the fact that it exists, that's not unexpected, or at least it shouldn't be, to any of us at all. A second fact is this: a trial is problematic. Now, to quote the junior high version of myself, I think um, after someone would share a statement like, well, it'll stress, you know, create some problems, my answer would have been, duh. Of course, stress creates problems. I think we've all figured that out. Just because these trials are predictable does not mean that they should be dealt with lightly. As you and I know, stress can be very problematic. Trials not only happen, but they hurt, don't they? We've all been through those kinds of trials, and yet James tells us to consider it joy when we face trials of many kinds. Now, the word for many, for many kinds, many colored, varied. These are different types of trials. James knew that not everybody's trials would be the same some are job-related, some are financial, some are domestic, some are result of fear or failure in our life. The point is that when we're facing all these different types of trials, then some trials are occurring naturally. They just happen. It's just the way of the fallen world that we live in. Some are genuine accidents, sicknesses, disappointments. Others are painful circumstances that we are forced to deal with. Some trials are super. Natural. They're beyond anyone's control, and there's no earthly explanation for them. And although these stressful trials are problematic, we know that there is hope in them, and we'll get that here in just a second. We should take comfort in the fact that the stress of these trials are temporary. It was the Apostle Peter who wrote these words In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. There's an understanding there. God wants us to know he understands. Hey, I know you're going through this, but please know they will come to an end. So trials, to start with, are predictable. Secondly, we've learned they are definitely problematic. We've all experienced that in the past. Third, third's kind of a big word. Trials are paradoxical. Now, what does that mean? What means ironic or illogical? Puzzling. Okay, think of it this way. According to the world, James's words, what James is telling us makes absolutely no sense at all. James said we should consider it pure joy when we face these trials. Is that a misprint? Did they type the wrong word? Maybe the, the, the transcribers over the centuries, the, the millennia now, accidentally just changed the word from pain to trial. I don't know. Maybe that's what happened. I don't think so. I don't think that was the case. The reality is we genuinely, generally consider it joy when we don't face trials, right? When there are no problems, we're happy. We, we think things are going really well. So when you think about that, we try to avoid trials. We try to avoid tribulations. And yet James is saying, hey, consider it joy when it happens. James' admonition seems to be totally opposed to the way that we would normally look at our lives, doesn't it? Consider it joy, for example, when we cannot leave our homes. Consider it joy when we've been laid off from work or had to be forced to close our business. Consider it joy whenever our stock market portfolio crashes. Consider it joy when we get to e-learn with our kids every single day of the week. Um, James, you gotta be joking, right? Like there's no way we could possibly take joy in that. Well, let me help you understand what James really said a little better. James didn't say to take those events and consider the event joy. No, that's not what he said. He said consider it joy. That word consider means to think forward, to think ahead. The tense of the verb indicates that James was signaling the fact that the trial was not the joy in itself. No, of course it's not. What the joy is, is what comes after words. Job was thinking ahead. When he said, he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. That's from the Old Testament. Job did not consider losing his health, his family, everything else he was losing as a joy. No, by no means. But he looked forward to the joy that would follow when this trial was over. Jesus is a perfect example for us. Jesus himself looked beyond his own suffering. Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 2, he tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The cross was not joy for Jesus, but the joy came in the morning, didn't it? Three days later. The the stress of trials is illogical. It's paradoxical. It makes no sense in the moment. But we should consider these things joy because they are used to bring us into a more spiritually mature place. Trials do not have to be our foe. They can be our friend. The fourth purpose for trials is this. They have purpose. They have meaning in our lives. And so there's a few different things that trials actually produce in our lives. And I want to share those things with you. One is this. Trials produce Purity. Now, we just indicated that in that passage read... From the book of Job, one purpose of stress is to lead us to purity. James reminded us that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. Now that word testing can also be translated to purge. The obvious example that Job was talking about just moments ago was that idea of taking that precious metal, heating it up till it melts to a liquid. And when you do that, all of the impurities rise to the surface. You can skim those off so you're left with absolute pure gold. It's exactly what happens through these trials. It reminds us that our trials are for a purpose, and one of those purposes is to produce purity in our lives. There's something that needs to be gotten rid of. This trial that we're going through right now, the challenge, the prayer earlier in the service, there's something in our lives that needed to be gotten rid of, and God has used this circumstance to get rid of that, to purge it from our lives. Are we willing to leave it out? Or are we going to bring that imperfection back when this time is over. Is there was there's something that's keeping us from growing spiritually, maybe something that's become a barrier between us and God. God can use a trial to overcome those obstacles. And yes, it can be a painful process. So trials produce purity. Trials produce perseverance. James literally uses that word. James said the testing of our faith develops perseverance. That particular word comes from a preposition meaning under combined with the word, a verb that means to stand fast. So to stand fast underneath the weight of something, to hold firm. James is saying that the testing of our faith develops staying power, and that staying power will help us stand up under what? The next trial. Why? Well, because we know trials Are predictable. They're going to continually happen. And so each trial that we face better equips us, prepares us, makes us stronger for the next trial. It develops perseverance. The more we lean into God to grow during these times, the stronger we become. That's why sometimes you will address some people that are deep in their faith, and you'll address them, and they'll be going through what you or I might consider the worst possible thing that could ever happen in one's life, and we just look at them and they're just like handling it. Now, you know, they have their moments with God. I'm sure they have their their moments and seasons where things aren't as good as they appear. But overall, they seem to be riding these storms a lot better than some of us do. And that all comes from those people that are a little more spiritually mature and they're leaning into God a little more throughout those trials. And thus, it seems as if they're holding onto those promises and they believe in those promises and so they can handle that trial a little better maybe than you and I can at times. That's who we long to be in this life. A third thing that trials produce is perfection. Another purpose is literally it leads us in the direction of perfection. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, James 1.4. Not lacking anything, that would be Perfect. The word mature means to end, to carry work on to its end, to become full grown. A student goes to school to earn a diploma, right? Now, along the way, as a student, you may have failed a couple, several a lot of tests along the way, right? You may have gotten distracted a couple times, maybe just once or twice, forgot to turn in an assignment here or there, but those events were not what ultimately mattered. What mattered most was the very end game, walking across the stage, getting that diploma, and officially graduating. Our goal in the Christian life is that of becoming spiritually mature, living a life that we are spiritually maturing day after day after day, and trials help us to do that. They help to produce that perfection in our life. Now, please note, you and I are not the ones making ourselves perfect. We cannot do that. We, it's impossible, actually, for us to perfect ourselves. We must remember that perfection is brought into us Through the process called sanctification, that is God at work in our lives through the Spirit purifying us, perfecting us as we spiritually mature in this life. It's an incredible process, and we must remember that is not us at work. Jesus is the one in John 15, 5 that said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And that includes, that nothing includes everything, obviously, but talking about trials, that nothing includes surviving these trials. If you are constantly at fault and if you're constantly, at, 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 I don't know, just upset, stressed, worried, anxious about these trials and these things that are happening, there could be absolutely a medical disorder. Yes, those things can happen. Um, and, and please seek treatment for those things. But for so many others, we struggle with these issues. Why? Because we're not relying on God. We're trying to get through them all on our own. Jesus is the secret. The final one in this category, trials produce prayer. I want you to think about that. A benefit of stressful trials is that they drive us to pray, both for believers and non-believers alike. Let's start with the non-believers. How many times have you found or seen those praying that you know have absolutely no belief in God prior to that moment. They might have even confessed. They might even be against God up to that point, but something has driven them to the point of praying in a God they don't believe in. Have you ever found that curious? Maybe, maybe it happens to us too. How many times have us as believers tried every other resource first and then fall into our knees to pray. Clearly, that is not what God asks us to do. He wants us to turn to him very first. James 1.5 puts it like this. If any of you lacks wisdom, a.k.a. doesn't know what to do, he should ask God. One of the greatest needs of mankind in this world is absolutely wisdom discernment. James says that God gives a supernatural ability to discern the gift that we call wisdom. Yeah, if we ask for it. He even says that God will give it to us in abundance if we ask for it. He won't turn it off if we continue to ask for it. It's God's gift to us. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts, but wisdom is the ability to deal with those facts and use them in practical ways. It's quite a difference. So trials aren't only predictable, problematic, and paradoxical, and purposeful. They produce the purpose. They produce purity, perseverance, perfection, and Prayer. Now, there's one fifth and final case that James makes out uh, trials. Trials can be profitable. Now, we're not talking about monetarily profitable, obviously, this trial, although there are some phases of the economy that are doing well um, that weren't necessarily before. But overall, that's, this isn't the time to talk about monetary profit at all. This is a very different kind of thing. In James chapter 1, beginning of verse 9, he describes three men a rich man, a poor man, and a man that sticks with it, a man that handles stress, that's able to deal with things with pressure in life. He begins by describing all three of these folks are at the same level. There's seemingly no difference other than the one factor between them. Have you ever seen that more than right now? Virtually everyone, whether rich or poor, you can hop on YouTube tonight and you can watch all kinds of rich and famous people broadcasting where? From the studios with all their makeup and everything else on? No, from their homes, isolated. Everybody has kind of been equal at this time. We're all e-learning with our kids. We're all trying to buy toilet paper, Clorox wipes, and hand sanitizer. We're all doing this across our country. Most of us have a bit of a fear of the unknown that all of us share across this country, both regarding the disease and literally just the fear of not knowing what's going to happen next, whether it's job-related, econ- economical, fear of the disease again in the future, whatever it is, we're we all kind of sharing some of these same ideas. Those with plenty and those with poverty are facing the same kinds of issues right now. We're all under different pressures as well. So all three of these folks are kind of on an equal playing field, if you will. James 1, nine says the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. The world doesn't think that person is worth very much, but Christ, of course, holds him up in high esteem. That's the mystery of this Christian life. The last shall be first, the low shall be made high. It's an incredible thing to consider. James one ten eleven 11 says the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower in the end there'll be no difference. Those with wealth, those without, we'll all be equal in the end. The gospel is this great leveling factor and there's this story that comes about where Jesus and his disciples visit the city of Jericho and during the course of one day they visit two different men. The first man was impoverished, the other man had plenty. To the first man, Bartimaeus, the blind, poverty-stricken beggar they found on the roadside, Jesus says, get up, rise, yeah, be made new. To the rich man, Lazarus, the wealthy tax collector who had climbed the tree to see his Jesus, he says, hey, come down, lower yourself, get down here with all of the common Folks, you're no better than anyone else. Hopefully you can see the parallel between what James is describing between the rich and the poor man and his his letter and what happened as Jesus and the disciples met with those two individuals and Jesus brought them to the same level playing field. I kind of think that Bartimaeus was probably at dinner that night when they went to Zacchaeus' house. Just a hunch. Probably was there. Consider that. James 1.12 reminds us that that it is profitable, not only for those in poverty, but for those in plenty and for those under pressure. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. (laughs) Trials and stress, they are associated with these these folks. They're associated with us. Every moment of our life, they will be around These life events, these trials can ruin us. We've seen people, some of us might have experienced that. Maybe we're living it right now. We're allowing these trials to literally ruin us. Our jobs, our marriage, our relationships with our kids, with family members, with friends, coworkers, neighbors, you name it. It can break apart friendships. It can literally, trials can damage our physical health there's tons of research out there about trials stress leading to heart disease strokes even cancer and diseases beyond trials are real they cause problems don't they but how do we deal with them you see unless we are prepared in christ for what comes our way we're not going to know how to deal with them remember that trials are predictable they are coming they're absolutely coming the question is not a question of when it's a question of, or sorry, it's not a question of if. It's a question of when they'll be here. Trials are absolutely problematic. If we don't deal with them well, then they're going to cause us continual problems and ultimately they'll be very destructive in our lives. Trials can be paradoxical, puzzling. They don't often make sense at the time. However, we can count them joy because we know the final eternal outcome will absolutely be glorious. We must know that stress from trials is purposeful. God can use these things in our life if we allow him to make us an incredibly deeper, more spiritually mature Christian. Puts us through that fiery furnace so that we can come out refined as pure gold. And finally, James reminds us that trials can be profitable. We can think ahead to the crown of life that God has promised to all who love him. I know Difficult stuff. Uh, James doesn't doesn't pull any punches. Like I said, he is on point all the time, and he, he just throws it right at us. And so today, as we end this service, as we end this sermon, I want you to begin to consider, have you, do you, are you relying on Jesus right now during this trial? If you are not, if you are a believer, then repent today. Hand the things you're struggling with right now. Maybe you're struggling with e-learning right now. Hand that over to Jesus. Have you been praying about e-learning? Or have you just been wishing it would end? Hand those things over to Christ right now. Don't waste another moment. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ and you're, you're lost in this trials, you're lost in the trials of life, you don't know where to turn, then today is the day to turn to Jesus right now. Yes, we have a a button there that you can click, if you will, to give your life to Christ, but it doesn't end there. That is only the beginning of that relationship with Christ. We want to talk with you and share with you what that means, committing your life to Christ. And so you'll have an opportunity immediately after that to follow up and email us so we can begin a line of communication to share that with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your words on trials. We thank you for the opportunity we have to study and to learn and to grow. Father, we, uh, I would love to say we thank you for these trials, but I, I think we'd probably all be lying if we were thankful while we're in the trial. Many of us have come through trials and on the backside, then we look back and we say, God, we're thankful. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me through that. Thank you for teaching me what you have taught me. But well, Father, in this moment, Father, let's consider, are we putting our faith and hope and trust in you to persevere through this trial? Father, do I even have a relationship with you? maybe for the first time ever, I'm realizing the need for that relationship. May that spirit move in that person today and move them to a point where they officially have that relationship. We're excited to welcome them into the family of God. Father, thank you for today and the chance to meet in this way. Father, will you please be with us through this trial and the next and the next, as you promised they will keep coming. The more we lean into you, the more we grow in our walk with you. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, this is this has been a special time, I know, uh, for me and, and for my family to share communion still together each and every week. And so hopefully you have those emblems with you at home. And please take a moment. Take a moment and, and give thanks to Christ for what he did. Uh, that moment doesn't have to end when I end it here on, in the service. Um, you can take as long as you need to. You can continue it into the afternoon. Go sit on the front porch um, and just enjoy the day and the opportunity to meet with him. But uh, this is the body that was broken. And, and like I said last week, to imagine being, uh, that got me as I thought about it because I, I didn't have that written down or anything else, to imagine being James. And, and after meeting with his brother, um, I, I don't know, maybe Jesus shared that first communion with him, I don't know. But we know probably if he didn't, it was probably the disciples. Or maybe it was his mom, Mary, who first introduced him to these two emblems that he knew from long ago from his early childhood, this Jewish remembrance of the Passover feast. And they transformed it into the bread being the broken body of Jesus and then what that meant to the author of the letter we are reading. So consider that today. As we break this bread together, (laughs) the trials that Jesus went to, including illegal actual court trials. But the trials Jesus went through throughout his life and his ministry as he tried and tried and tried to share his message with others, knowing that so many wouldn't accept him, including his own family initially, including those sitting around him in the room that night as he introduced this supper as he broke bread and then ultimately shared the wine that represented his blood that was shed, sharing that with individuals, one of whom would immediately turn out the door and betray Jesus, others who would all disperse and Act like they didn't know him. These are trials that Jesus went through. He knows. He knows what it's like. Remember the sacrifice Jesus made for you as he shed his blood on that cross. Father, we thank you for this special moment to remember these things each and every time that we gather. We pray that no one forgets the sacrifice that you made for them. But beyond just remembering, as James would challenge us to do, we challenge we take that remembrance and we put it into action. It's not a memory. It's a calling. It's a calling upon our lives, who we are, who we are to be in this world, in this life. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we close today, I, I just want to thank you um, again, as we have each week for all of those you've been able to, to continue giving um, throughout this time. It, it is a need that the church still has for sure. And so um, if you haven't had that opportunity yet, um, on the screen right there for you are three different ways. You can text any dollar amount to that number and give. It is super easy. And as I said last week, we have had a few people start using that. So that is an awesome thing for sure. You can click the give button right there on the screen Um, as you're watching, if you're watching in the Berea Christian Christian church. Online. church website. If you're not, you can go to our website, bccbrazil.org, and hit the Donate Now button. That'll link, be able to link right to your um, checking account, and you can do an, an e-check, if you will. There's a process with that, and if you're having difficulties with that, do not hesitate to reach out, and uh, we can call you and, and help walk you through those steps so that you can easily get that done. And of course, you can still mail things here to the church. That's still being being collected and processed as, as it is. But um, we are so excited. We don't have any idea when God's going to open the doors, um, but that's who we're relying on. We're relying on God and his wisdom. Uh, the leadership and I are, are meeting with folks, um, getting advice, uh, learning about, you know, even if the state says this, does that mean that's what we should do in our context? And so uh, we're praying through this. We're, we're trying to gain the wisdom we need to use discernment uh, when this does happen. So watch for some more online events potentially um, as events in the world and on our state unfold. <clears throat> watch for us to post um, different things, maybe even a chance for you to interact with us live um, in, a, in a situation. So um, just watch for that to happen moving forward, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to answer some of those questions in the not so distant future. All right. Uh, Don't forget uh, about the activities with McKenna throughout the week. Those are awesome. And for you all, the text for next week. Last week, I asked you to hold each other accountable to read this with your family. Did you let one of your children read this um, to you? this week and talk about what it meant. This next verse is pretty challenging. um, And so that's why we aren't covering very many verses next week. So thank you for joining us this morning. So glad to be here with you. I just pray that God watches over you, keeps you safe throughout the week. Please keep your eyes open for opportunities to love and serve others, even if you have to do it six feet apart. We love you. We'll see you all next week.